you sounded very good in your singing today. I was really blessed by that. It's excellent. Open your Bibles. We are in the book of Ecclesiastes again. We're all the way to chapter 11. We've got chapter 11 and chapter 12, and that's the end of this book. I want to specifically thank Pastor Eric for his work last week. And, uh, you know, this is ancient wisdom, and so wisdom literature tends to have a lot of things where the, 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 the one speaking, in this case, I, I believe it's Solomon, again, he's bouncing around to different topics. And the topic last week was on foolishness. And his main idea last week was that foolishness can spoil a whole lot of things. One bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. And so Eric helped us learn how foolishness, how at times our foolishness can complicate parts of life. Well, this week Solomon is going to continue on. And this week he's going to pick up the topic of risk. So we're going to talk a little bit about risk in just a few minutes. You know, as I think about risk, one of the areas where that is really especially gut-wrenching in our lives is as it relates to our children or perhaps our grandchildren. Because we know that there has to be some risks that are taken in order to grow children and yet it's never easy when you have to take those risks. Let me give you a couple of examples. It's always necessary for a child to learn to ride a bike. But it's just a little nerve-wracking when you're putting them on that bike and you're sending them off, perhaps to have a crash, and you're just, you know, you're a little bit nervous about that moment. And just to give you an idea, when I learned how to ride a bike, I didn't even have a helmet. So, I mean, you know, hey, you know, you got that going on. There's a moment of truth when you know that you've got to turn your kids loose. And so it's like, here's the weed whacker. Or, or here's the lawnmower. And you know, there's always this speech that happens again and again. No fingers, no, toe or, no toes underneath the deck. You know, the, that's where the thing is spinning and it's chopping stuff. We don't want to get you hurt. But you've got to turn them loose in order to be able to go and use that lawnmower or use that weed whacker. There's a big moment. If you've had children, you know this moment. And you take a set of car keys and you hand them to a 16-year-old. It's like, what am I doing right now? Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but it has to happen in order for kids to grow. You know, I wouldn't even start talking about having a daughter that goes out on her first date. And that seems especially, I don't know, risky to me. And so again, I, I remember those days quite well. Kids have to take risks in order to grow. And guess what? So do disciples. Disciples have to take risks or they cannot grow. And that's what, again, Solomon wants to talk to us about today. Right now, we're in a very risk-averse environment in our country and perhaps in our world. You've got the war in the Ukraine going on, and that's making everybody pucker a little bit and pull back. You've got the inflation that's happening in our own country, and that's really making monetary things very, very tight and very uncertain. You've got, of course, the pandemic that continues on, and all of those things conspire together in order to make things, well, risky. And we're not sure what we want to do in the midst of this environment. Things have, uh, you know, taking risks is always something that's never easy to do. I mean, that always is going to take a little gumption to do that. But when things are seeming out of control, the risks can seem even bigger. 
I have a quote from Max Lucado that I really like. I have it on the board for you there. It says, fear doesn't want you to take, make the journey to the mountain. If he can rattle you enough, fear will persuade you to take your eyes off the peaks and settle for a dull existence in the flatlands. And that's what fear can always be doing to all of us is to say, you know, really don't aspire to anything very big. Just be very settled with the life that you have. And, you know, just kind of pull back. Be conservative. Just kind of live within, you know, this moment right now. And God's always saying, hey, I've got a peak for you. I want you to reach out for that peak. And those can come into opposition with us. Well, in today's passage, that's what Solomon's going to tell us. He's going to say, take some risks for the kingdom of God. Take some risks. I want you to take some risks for the kingdom of God. And we're going to hear about some natural reasons why we might naturally pull back from that, why we might not want to take those risks. And that's what this passage is all about. Now, again, I'm going to warn you, at first blush, you're not going to see this because the passage is a little bit, well, it's a little bit difficult to understand at the first. But I think that by the end of the day, you will see this. And so let's go ahead and pick up. We're going to take the first six verses of chapter 11. This is what Solomon, his name is the the preacher or the the teacher in the book called Koheleth. That's what his title is, but I believe again it's Solomon. And this is what he says to us. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain... They empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the mornings sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know what will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. At first glance, as I just read that passage, you're like, all right, we've got clouds, we've got trees falling, we've got, uh, you know, all, all the wa- bread on water. What do all these things are doing here? How would they all work together? What do they even mean? And believe me, as I read the passage this week, I was asking the same question. How does this all fit together? I think I can give a little clarity to this as we move on today. And I want to start off by making sure that you see something that's happening at the very front end of the two verses that begin this whole passage. There are two commands. I want to make sure you can see these two commands. I put them up here for us, the two commands. Here they are. The two commands in verses 1 and 2 are cast your bread upon the water and give a portion to seven or even eight. So the two commands that start off this passage are cast and give. Cast and give. That probably clears it all up for everybody, right? And you now get this passage. No, not quite, right? I mean, the pastor, hey, we're still very lost on this, so you're going to have to give us a little clarification here. You think about the first one, cast your bread upon the water. So, is Solomon saying to us, I want you to go down to the Puget Sound, I want you to have a loaf of bread, and I want you to take loaves of that bread and I want you to toss it out onto the water and let it get nice and soggy inside the Puget Sound and then get it and you, you'll, you know, you'll find something really good in that. Is, that. is that what he's saying? 
Is he saying, you know, come back, in fact, a couple weeks later and see if you can find the bread and because, you know, it returns to you and there's something that's really magical about that whole process. Is, is that what he's calling us to do? Well, I, I don't think so. I mean, there's something here that's going on that we really can't see. And so, again, there's something that's probably we're missing in this. And what, one of the things I think that's missing here is that he's using a phrase that probably meant the same thing to everybody in his day, but it's lost to us today. So when he says, cast your bread on the waters, bam, they knew what that meant. But, but we're like, oh, man, we're separated by all these years. We don't know what that means anymore. Well, let me give you an example of that. There's another saying that some of you may know, but some of you don't know here. And the saying is this, a stitch in nine saves time. Is that what it is? A stitch in time saves nine. I've reversed that. Uh, a little dyslexia going on here. A stitch in time saves nine. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard that phrase before. Almost everybody. Almost everybody. Did you know that that phrase came out in 1732? And it is a phrase dealing with mending clothing. Here's what it means. If you stitch in time... If you stitch while the, the, the tear is just happening in the clothing or the garment, then you'll save a greater tear later in which you'll have to take nine stitches. So it's, it's, it's saying, be preventative. Take a stitch now and you'll save a greater disaster later. That's what it means. But it's being lost on us today and chances are pretty good. If you're younger, you've never heard that or you don't know what it means because guess what? We don't mend clothing anymore. We just throw them away. So mending is kind of out of vogue. We, we, don't, we don't even do that. And so that saying is lost. Very similar with cast your bread on the waters. This, the meaning of that is lost because, again, over all these years, people have not known what that means anymore. And so, again, there's been all kinds of people that have tried to figure out what that means. And generally, it falls into two camps. And I'm going to explain to you the two camps, and I'm going to explain to you the camp that I'm in, and I'm going to try to make some sense out of that. The first camp is that the cast your bread upon the waters deals with generosity, and it deals with being generous with others. And so casting your bread is, is a metaphor, again, for living a generous life. That's one. The second one is that it deals with uh, the issue of, 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 of industry, of, of expanding and, and using your money and using your business and using your life to expand your opportunities. And I believe that's what this passage is really about. It's about taking risks. Taking a risk with all avenues of our lives in order to expand and, and drive out and try some new things. That's the camp where I land and that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Now if it means, you know, a level of industry where casting our bread on the waters, then how do I get there? How do I get to that's what this means? Well, let me explain that. Uh, Israel was the bread basket of its time. And so they grew a lot of wheat and they shipped a lot of wheat out to other neighboring countries and exchanged their wheat for other things. 
And so again, that was one of the things that was happening was the ships were being loaded with their wheat and being shipped off to other places. If we look at the NIV translation, I read you the ESV earlier today, the NIV makes it very clear that the people who translated the NIV thought that it was probably about industry and about these ships because this is what they said. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. And so they have the idea again that this passage is really about these ships that are being sent off to foreign lands and that are now returning back with other things that I may need over time if I'm Solomon or if I'm uh, in Israel at that time. Now, again, there was one group of people that were the most prolific uh, shippers of the day, and it was the Phoenicians. And I have a picture here of what a Phoenician ship might have looked like in the first century. And you'll notice there that it's got a hole underneath it, and that's where they stack all of the goods into that. And, you know, so you're putting grain into that, and you're putting all kinds of things that are from Israel. So if you're Solomon, you're putting in there uh, figs, perhaps, and you're putting in there olive oil, which you make a lot of. You're putting wine into the hull of the ship, and that's getting shipped off. And then it returns back to you, and it's got important things like maybe fabric, that's fine fabric, or maybe it's got spices or fragrances, or maybe it's coming back to you some gold of some kind. It's even recorded that, again, Solomon was so wealthy and had so much shipping going on that he was receiving back exotic animals. So he was receiving back baboons, and he was receiving back monkeys and all kinds of things, peacocks. And so those were coming back in the ships to him. So he was sending off his ships with what he had to offer and receiving back what the world at that time had to offer to him. Here's what I want you to hear. When it's, the, when it's said the idea of ship your grain across the sea, what he's saying is, take a risk. Take a risk. Send your ships. Solomon was willing to send a ship off, and it may hit a storm. It may face pirates. It could face any number of ways that your ship would be lost. But he says, send your ship off, because you would expect a return back if you do that. And so it's about taking a risk and uh, making sure that you're doing that in order that you may uh, receive something back of value. So if that's what it means to send your ships off, to ship your grain across the sea, then what does it mean for the second command? The second command, give a portion to seven or even to eight. What could that mean? Well, in context, I think what he's saying here is diversify. He's saying, don't just send one ship, send multiple ships. Don't just send one good, but sell, send multiple goods. And so this idea of diversification is what I think he's saying here. Seven being a lot, eight being even more. And so he's saying, go ahead and send off a lot and see what happens. Let me give you a for example here, because some of you are like, diversification, I think I've heard that before. Many of you here today have some form of retirement you have a 401k, an IRA, a 403b, and if you're investing your money, chances are good that somebody who's a financial advisor has said to you, you've got to diversify. And what they mean by that is, don't put all of your money into one company or one idea. So don't put all your money, for instance, into all real estate. That may be a portion of what you have, but you may be putting some of your money in stocks, some of your money in bonds, some things that are overseas, some things that are in our own country. Maybe some of you have some money in gold in some way. And here's the idea. You have a diversification so that if one thing is failing, another thing is succeeding. And you're kind of playing the averages. And so this idea of diversification is allowing you to play a broader spectrum of investments. And that usually is for your benefit. So again, he's saying to us, you know, don't hold back. 
Hold back. Send off the ships and diversify in the way that you're going about that. Send multiple out and take risks for the kingdom. That's what he means by cast your bread onto the waters. So what does the rest of the passage mean? If that's what the first two commands mean, that's about industry and about taking risks and sending the ships off, then what is the rest of the passage dealing with? Things like, uh, well, we've got here the, the, the bones of a child, the falling of a tree, the rain clouds. I mean, how does that all fit into this? And I think what Solomon is doing here is he's giving us word pictures for the ways that we might be reluctant to take risks. So he's saying there's some ways that you can become frozen and you don't want to take risks. And so he's painting us the picture of what it means to be frozen and to withdraw rather than to send off your ships with the grain in them. And that's what I want to cover today is how we can become frozen. How you can become frozen and not willing to take the risks that God may be calling you to take. All right. Let's start off, I've got three areas where we can become frozen and not take risks, not send the ships off. Here they are, the very first one is, we can become frozen with fear. Follow along, Solomon says that the clouds are full of rain, and he says, what happens when clouds are full of rain? They dump rain. He says there's a tree that it falls, and it really doesn't make a difference if it falls to the north or to the south. Where the tree falls, that's where it lays. And so again, here's the operative sentence in this first section. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who observes the wind will not sow. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm picturing a farmer, and he's looking out and he's saying, those might be storm clouds, but they, they might not be. I don't, I don't know. And I, I'm looking over here, and if that tree, it's about ready to fall, and, and if it falls over here, it's gonna fall on my shed, and if it falls over here, well, it's gonna fall in the area where I'm gonna, where I'm gonna do my farming, and so, I, you know, I, I don't know what to do, and, I, and I'm gonna just, I need to hold back because I don't understand all of this. And he's somebody who is paralyzed. He, he, he's doing the analysis of, analysis of paralysis, and he's just, he's stuck because he doesn't know how to handle all of the information that is coming to him. And so he's filled with fear. He's filled with fear and he says, man, those, the, the, the storm, it just looks like it might come and I don't know what to do. And you know, we're always facing something that's a, a threat to life in some way, especially when it comes to weather conditions and farming. And what he's saying is if you become consumed in this and consumed with the fear, you'll never actually sow any seed and therefore you'll never reap a harvest. You, you, you'll, you'll be stuck in your fear and you won't move forward. Here's the two images that he has. Again, the tree and the rain clouds. And what those have in common is that they're both waiting for the perfect conditions. They're both waiting for everything to line up, for everything to be predictable, for everything to be risk-free, and therefore I can finally do something if I calculate that it's risk-free. You know, life's just not like that, Solomon's saying. You, you can't wait for everything to line up like that. There's sometimes you gotta move forward even though you have a level of fear. Here's what else can happen when you're feeling a level of fear. You will naturally pull back and oftentimes as it relates to resources or money, you will hoard. If you're filled with a lot of fear, you will hoard. Now again, we can look back over the last two years and we can say, well, maybe we can look back and laugh a little bit about that. There's one of my favorite sayings, tragedy plus time equals comedy. And maybe we're far enough away now that we can say, all right, we can have a little bit of fun with ourselves. So I'm gonna back you up to March of 2020. And you remember what you did. 
you went and bought 10 years supply of toilet paper. <laughs> you know, you didn't need all that toilet paper. You knew you couldn't use all that toilet paper, but you went and bought all that toilet paper. And why did you do that? Because you, feel, you were filled with a level of fear and you wanted to hoard in order to make sure that you had enough. I have a little show and tell with you today. Denise and I went to Costco and I'll never forget this day because we walked into Costco and at Costco, they were just like at the door, they were, if anybody want one, here it is, you know, I mean, you had to buy it, but they were handing out, and what were they handing out? This is hand sanitizer in a bottle. And a distilling company in Seattle changed their lines over so that they were no longer producing hard liquor, they were producing hand sanitizer for the day. And so Denise and I did not go to Costco rated by hand sanitizer, but everybody's doing it. And we're kind of looking like, do we need hand sanitizer? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Give me one. You know, you, you just participate. You're a lemming at that point. Now, you know, at the time, we thought that was very prudent, right? Now you know that COVID isn't even spread that way. It's not spread by skin contact. It's spread in aerosol. So, I mean, this is like useless. But we bought that at the moment and we wanted to make sure we had enough hand sanitizer. We probably had like 50 of those at home, but a big bottle like that, yes, I need it. <laughs> when you and I are filled with fear, we naturally do a lot of crazy things. It's very natural for us to do crazy things when we're filled with fear. And we play the what if game. What if the economy's weak? What if I lose my job? What if the, this or that happens to our country? What if this happens to our world? And we freeze in our tracks and we freeze and pull back from taking many risks, afraid to even lead common things in life. Let's all remember for a moment what God calls us to and he's calling us to a level of freedom. He's calling us to a level of of generosity even. This is Luke 6, 38. I have it on the screen for you. It says this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so again, God is calling us, hey, take some risks. I've given you so much and I want you to get out and, and let rip with some of that whether it's money or whether it's talents or your time, but take some risks. It's okay, I'm there with you and I'm giving you the resources that you're going to need in order for you to be able to uh, send your ships off, as it were. Well, that we can be, first of all, frozen with fear. So what are the other things that Solomon is saying that can freeze us? Fear can freeze us. What else can freeze us? One of the other things that can freeze us is the unknown, the unknown can freeze us. And he explains the magical process of a child being formed in the womb of its mother. And he says this, who knows the way the spirit comes into the bones? And so again, he's using this picture of a baby forming inside of a mother. And one of the things that we know, because we've studied this over so many years now, is we know a lot about how that baby is formed. We know at the point at which the heart starts beating, and we know about the time at which the lungs are formed. And I mean, just every part of the anatomy of a child is very, very uh, known. 
But I challenge you with this. When does the soul enter into that child? At what point does the soul or the spirit come into the bones? And that's a very mysterious process. I mean, how does that all happen? You you know, there's two times in our lives in which we especially take note of the soul. We normally take note of the soul at birth and at death. And if you've ever been with a loved one who has died, you've watched that process occur. I have. And you're with that person, and I, I can't explain this, but you're just saying, they're not there anymore. The, their body is, and it's a body that I've cherished and I love, but somehow, they're not there. And that inanimate part of them, the part that makes them them, the soul, just seems to not be present anymore. And that is what Solomon is talking about. How do you know? How, who can explain when the soul comes into a living being and begins to inhabit them? And this is what he says, verse five. You do not know the work of God who makes everything. So he says, you know what? Nobody can explain that. Only God alone can really explain that. And so you can wonder about it, but you, you don't have any control over it. And you really, all you can do is kind of watch it happen and be amazed by it. And he's telling us this you will become unwilling to take some risks oftentimes if you can't completely understand or explain the process. That's what he's saying here is there's some things that are beyond your knowledge but you want to try to dial it in. You want to try to line up all your ducks. You want to try to make sure you're understanding exactly how it's working and every step of the process and then you'll finally be willing to do something. He says that's not the way life works. You've got to sometimes let your ships go Even if you don't know quite what's going to happen with them, that's part of the nature of taking a risk. Let me explain something to you that's on the horizon for us, and I'm really excited about this, and I'm gonna give you just a little tease today with the hope that we fill in more of the blanks in this in May. Many of you know that we as a church pulled about 15 people together last year about this time there were people that you know, represented all, kind of all different walks of life with us and had participated in different aspects of ministry. And we said, hey, we want all of you to come together and we want you to, you to imagine what the future of missions looks like at CCF. What does our global missions look like for us as a church? And that group got together and they prayed and they talked a lot, a lot, a lot. And finally, they arrived later in the year, uh, kind of around November, December, into a spot in which they said, we think this is what God's calling us to. And that got further refined in January and February. And so when May rolls around, we're going to be explaining to you how that whole process worked and what we believe the big points of, or the thrusts of missions are going to look like here at CCF. All right, here's the teaser. We are about on the edge of what we call adopting a people group. And a people group is an ethno-linguistic group of people somewhere in the world, and this happens to be what's called an unreached people group. Meaning that this group of people in the world have very little number of believers, very few churches, and very little access to meet a Christian who might be able to explain the gospel to them. Let me tell you about the country without giving you its name. It's got 90 million people in it. And it's estimated today that there are 8,000 believers in the entire country. 
8,000 believers in the entire country. Think about that for a minute. There are some churches in America that have more Christians in them than the entire country that I'm talking about. Now again, why would we care about that? We care about that because we care about people. And we care about the eternity of people. And we care about people that would go into a Christless eternity. And we would love to see disciples made there. We would love to see churches further established there and growing there. And we would, we would long to see all of that happen for the glory of God and for the betterment of people in this country. How will that happen? I have no idea. I have, if you ask me to explain the roadmap for that, I couldn't even, like, I couldn't even design one. But I, do I believe that that was what God has for us? I really do. And I'm gonna be really excited to tell you about that in May as we really un, unfold the entire package of what we're talking about. And I'm hoping that you're praying about that with me and you're getting excited for May as it comes you know, right around the corner now for us and that we as a church are beginning to say, hey, God, how are you using us around your world? And specifically in this one spot where there's so few people that actually have gospel witness. I do not have all that worked out, but we, as a result of that, perhaps lean into God even more. And we don't let that uncertainty stop us from following God and that uncertainty from, well, marching forward and doing the things that we believe God has called for us to do. All right, there's one more. The last way we can become frozen is through inactivity, or maybe I should say perpetual inactivity. Solomon says this, verse six, sow your seed in the morning and at evening let your hands not be idle for you do not which will succeed whether this or that or whether both will do equally well. And so he's saying, I want you to remain engaged. I don't want you to go into a form of idleness in which you're no longer engaging with me or the things that matter most to me. Don't become so idle. I want you to cast that seed out in the morning and let your hands be busy even into the night because you don't know what will succeed. Will this work or that work? You don't know. And so you keep at it. You keep trying and you keep attempting to pursue God and his kingdom. Let me give you another illustration of how I think we as a church are learning about that right now. And we're learning not to be inactive, not to pull back. It's be very easy to pull back in this area, but again, we're attempting to move forward. About four years ago now, we came out and said, we want to make maturing disciples of Jesus. That is the mission of our church. That's what we want to rise and fall on, making maturing disciples of Jesus. That's why we care about this country I told you about so much, because we want to see disciples there too. But we want to see disciples happen right here in our own church. One of the things that occurred uh, right after we kind of came out with that is we said, you know what, we're going to try that. And we're going to have a couple little pilot groups that come together. One had 12 people, one had 15 people. And for an entire year, it was actually two years, these groups studied the nine traits of a maturing disciple. And we saw all kinds of fruit come from that. But one of the things that we saw that, well, wasn't as good is the group, because it was so big, 15 people, lacked a certain level of intimacy. And so we said, you know what, we got to retool that. And we got to make sure because, again, how can you really grow as a maturing disciple unless you've really got some intimacy with somebody else? And so let's retool that. And so this last fall, we started groups that had three to six people in them, and they're maturing as disciples right now. And guess what? 
we've seen some very good things happen in the level of just, I know that person more deeply. I know what their problems are. I know what their struggles are. And we're walking that out as we mature together. And we're seeing some very good things happen there. Now, again, have we worked it out? Do we have now have the solution, the framework? Well, probably not. It's probably going to continue to change and morph. And I hope it does. Because we want to just continue to expand in our abilities to make maturing disciples of Jesus. Here's what we're not doing. We're not stopping. And it's so easy to go out and try something and it doesn't quite work the way you want it to and you go, oh, all right, I just give up. We're not stopping. We're continuing to explore things. We're continuing to make maturing disciples of Jesus even when we come up against a little bit of opposition. And you remember, last fall, I told you about the four chairs. You remember we had the four chairs of discipleship and you move through the successive chairs as you're maturing as a disciple. That's exactly what we're doing with these groups that are perking right now under the surface. And I think that those groups are going to create more leaders who can lead more. And so again, that's what we're doing is we're multiplying out our leadership core right now. All right, here's what, let's review. Here's what I want you to hear today. We can easily become frozen. We can become frozen in fear. We can become frozen by the unknown. We can become frozen by ongoing inactivity. And Solomon says, cast your bread onto the waters, take some risks, send those ships off, don't get frozen. And so I'm asking you the question, what are some ways that you are being called by God to take some risks today? Here's a few examples. Perhaps you're being called right now to serve in an area in which you don't feel especially comfortable. It's like, man, if I served over there in that thing, that would really stretch me out. I'm not sure I want that in my life right now. God may be saying, hey, send your ships off. Let's go. Maybe some of you are needing to give a very sizable gift to some cause or some mission agency right now and God's saying you know I poured a lot out for you and I want you to loosen some of that and I want you to give maybe the biggest gift of your life to some cause where you know the gospel is going to be advanced and that was could be scary for you but God's maybe calling you to do that maybe God's calling you to learn a new skill or ability I know a young person right now that's learning the guitar I admire that I, he's just saying, I'm going to pick up the guitar and I'm going to learn that guitar. I want to do that. And that, you know, it's a form of sending a ship off, taking a risk. Who knows? You know, he might fail at it, but he's willing to take the risk and try that. Some of you need to talk to a friend and you need to risk a little bit of a relationship in order to be able to talk about Christ. And that is something that God is calling you to do. What is the area of risk right now that God is calling you to make? And will you respond and say, yes, I don't have it all worked out, God, but that's something I know you want me to do and I'm going to do it. Well, there's one more area where I'd like to especially make some emphasis today and it's with our children or our grandchildren. And when I say cast your bread on the waters, one of the things we need to do is loose our children for the kingdom of God. We need to become okay that our kids could be missionaries in another country somewhere or could live overseas somewhere or they could, they could do a job in which they don't make quite as much but they're, the, the cause that they're pr- promoting or the cause that, they're, that they're, they're making a difference in is, is kingdom big. And so we're saying, God, I'm, I'm loosing my children for you and that is a difficult thing for we as Americans. And it's something that, again, if we're going to cast our bread on the waters, our children may be one of the key areas where we do that. I have this quote up. It's from Jim Elliott, missionary, famous missionary. In fact, he was martyred for his faith. And he said, children are arrows in a quiver. 
And they're to be trained as missionaries and shot at the devil. And he's saying, your children are that precious to God in order that they would be flaming arrows that would be shot out in darkness and would advance the kingdom of God. I don't know if your biggest area of risk would be around your children or some other area, but God is saying to you today, take a risk. Take a risk. It will be worth it. And he's saying, don't pull back. That's the natural aspect of living. And he's saying, I've given you all of myself, all of my resources in order that you would move forward. Cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it, he says, after many days. Lord, we are challenged today by your word. You're telling us there are some risks that you have ordained that we would take and you do not wish for us to withdraw from them. Would you be clear, Holy Spirit, in your guidance to us? Would you help us to know exactly what those areas are and for us to say yes, even if we don't have all of the answers? I thank you again for this last year and the disruption that we felt and the challenge that was placed upon our hearts, especially related to global missions. And I can't wait to talk about that more in May and for us as a church to lean into that together. You're good. You are a God who has all risks and all power in his control. And so we are at ease and at comfort in being able to say, we pursue you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.